Let's go to Psalm 129. That's where we're at this morning. We, again, are in the fifth of the internal divisions of the book of Psalms, book five. And within that fifth book, we're in the Song of Ascents, Psalm of Ascents. It might have been that pilgrims coming to the city of Jerusalem as they would approach the city of Jerusalem would begin singing these psalms um, in a way of um, rejoicing in the Lord and thinking about uh, the blessings of being able to come out of the world and go to a place where the Lord was um, worshipped and uh, they'd be in the midst of other like-minded believers. Uh, you know, how, how important that would be for um, Jews out in the world, maybe not living in the city uh, or uh, not living in Jerusalem, but out in the, in the perimeters of the, the nation of Israel or maybe even farther away. And Psalm 129, as we look at that this morning, uh, has a strong feel of that. As we uh, read it, let's just read through it, and then we will see what it has to say. A song of ascents. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. That sounds like that hurts. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as grass on the housetop, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Um, so Psalm 129, again, is a reflection. <clears throat> um, they're, recounting, uh, they're re- recounting the persecution of Israel. <clears throat> I'm with you there. <clears throat> there you go. Um, recounts the persecution of Israel, and um, they uh, would... Um, you know, it would be important for them to remember that um, where, where, they're, where they're going is the place where the Lord was loved and honored and worshipped. And um, as he says here, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Um, uh, you know, it talks about persecution here. Many times they have afflicted me from my youth that they have not prevailed against me. Um, the plowers plowed on my back. You know, it's talking about kind of like uh, giving a, um, an imagery of like ultimate persecution. Um, the, they made their furrows long. Uh, just the, uh, the painful image of, you know, plowing and plying that to somebody's back. Ow. Um, the, uh, just the hatred for God's people and what God is doing. Um, of course, the Jews were not strangers to that. They never have been. Um, they've always been a persecuted people simply because they are God's chosen people. And um, uh, so as, as they would approach the city of Jerusalem, what a blessing. It might be the only time in the year that um, they would be free from that type of persecution, that they would be uh, free to be around others who love the Lord and, and praised him. So they're recounting that. <clears throat> they say, uh, he says, as they were singing, 
The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Um, so in the midst of this persecution, that there is the Lord's protection. And, uh, um, you know, the, the idea of cut in pieces the cords of the wicked, the idea is, goes with the plowers there. You know, someone who's got that yoke tied and, and somehow those cords that are, you know, in the imagery, um, tying things together, those cords are all broken up. And so that progress of evil is halted. And the Lord does that. Um, you know, the, the how many times have we seen it um, laid out in the scriptures that uh, as evil took hold and uh, got into power, that it was uh, used that power and position to try to wipe out the Jews. I mean, you can go way back through their history and see that over and over again. And uh, yet that would only go so far, and then the Lord would... Um, halt that progress of that evil so that evil didn't completely wipe out what God was doing. And, and the Lord's always doing that. Uh, you know, how many times just in the history of the world have we seen um, evil on the rise, you know, in, our, in, in uh, many of our uh, many lifetimes here, you know, World War II, the evil of, of Hitler and all of that, um, uh, you know, as evil rose up through uh, earlier times of history, how come it didn't just take over completely? It had the power, it had the position, it had all the advantages. How come? How come it didn't wipe out righteousness completely? Because the Lord cut the cords of the wicked, cut in pieces the cords of the wicked, and halted the progress of that evil. And, um, um, you know, um, the Lord's going to... You know, as, as we as we look at this psalm again, these psalms of ascent, from the standpoint of um, us being believers, um, again we are picking up these psalms and rendering them in terms of that upward call of Christ Jesus that is spoken of in Philippians, um, that Paul by the Holy Spirit said, "I I press towards the call of the upward, uh, the up, press towards the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus." And so um, a psalm of ascent, we're looking at it from that standpoint. Here's a way it renders to us, I would say. Look, um, if we're going to go forward in the Lord and have our lives um, in an upward movement in light and in truth, we just have to recognize that evil is alive and well on earth and it's going to come against us. And um, we've talked about that before in in the psalms of ascent. Um, you know, the, the imagery of the plowing here, um, I'm struck by how familiar that terminology is with the agricultural images of ministry and the opposition to ministry that Jesus spoke about. You go to the New Testament, he talks about the seed and the sower. What happened when they sowed the seed? And, and again, the imagery there was the, the sower is... In, in that one was the Son of God, but it could also be anybody who's sowing God's word. What's the first thing that happens in response to the sowing of seed? The enemy shows up. Yes, and the enemy is always in opposition to the forward progress of the kingdom. And as we go forward in the Lord, you know, in, a, in a, a walk with the Lord that's taking us out of this world and into heaven... Um, we're just gonna we're gonna find that over and over again. Um, but wickedness, as it comes against us, we need to think rightly about it. 
Um, We need to recognize where the wickedness comes from and what the problem is. You know, the scripture says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, uh, and and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Um, Let's read the rest here, verses 5 through 8. It says, let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. Let them be as grass on the housetops, withers away as it grows. Just, just worthless thing. You know, they would um, uh, gather up grass to feed their animals from lots of different places. The most worthless stuff that wouldn't be good for anything would be the stuff that grew up on top of the houses. Uh, it, it just as it starts to go, it just falls over dead. It's just worthless. So it's just, he's making the, the analogy, let them be like that. Um, the reapers don't fill his hands with them, verse 7, nor does he who binds sheaves his arms. You know, there's nothing there. And then verse 8, neither let those who pass by them say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. In other words, don't say that to them. Um, uh, what he's saying here is evil. Um, let them be ashamed of the persecution. Um, let there be no hope of evil recovering. Um, you know, we're looking for that. Uh, as we go forward in the Lord, we're looking for a time when evil will be completely subdued. I mean, we want that. That's why one of the reasons we long for heaven so much is because there won't be any more um, opposition to our worship and our service of the Lord. Um, we'll be free from all that. Uh, so that's why one of the reasons we strongly long for heaven. But there's going to be a time on earth when that's ultimately fulfilled, right? Um, the millennium, the millennium of time when um, the Lord has promised, um, even in the earliest parts of Scripture, to, to hint it at in Abraham's promises. Moses talked about a time when uh, Israel would be the head of the nations and, uh, and fully empowered and leading the world. Um, uh, during the time of the kings in the, and um, of, of the split nation, there were prophets who spoke very clearly about a time when uh, Israel again would be exalted to be first in the world and Jews would be highly uh, exalted instead of being uh, persecuted like we re- read about here. And ultimately we read about that, right, the millennium clearly. We, we, we see exactly where it fits in a real clear uh, explanation of it in Revelation 20, the thousand years when uh, after the tribulation the Lord returns and all those um, evil spiritual forces are restrained completely and um, there'll be no hope of recovery. There'll be, there'll be none, none of that evil um, opposition to the kingdom of the Lord during that thousand years of millennium and the earth will know its highest and blessings of peace and righteousness and tranquility. Um, so, Let's try to draw something, though, from this um, for, for you and I here, um, again, in the Psalm of Ascent. Look at verse 8. It says, Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. You know, a, kind of a modern rendition of that would be, God bless you. Um, you know, we're going to encounter wickedness, and, and we've got to recognize it when we encounter it. Um, here's a common way in which you're going to encounter spiritual wickedness. They're going to come to your house and they're going to knock on your door and uh, it's happened at my house. It's happened through the neighborhood. It's, you know, a couple of times. Um, 
Bible Watchtower Tract Society or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, and, and other um, cults that are out there making door-to-door campaigns. Um, you got to be able to recognize and deal with it um, the right way. And uh, um, um, you know, when they come to your door, again, having the light of the New Testament, we recognize that the people there standing at our door are not the problem. Right, we know that um, they have fallen under the wickedness of spiritual deception, and in believing that, they have become agents of deception. But they need to be delivered from that, um, and so we we deal with them that way. We, if we're prepared, and and if we, and we should be, um, we could be someone who tries to talk to them about what they believe and how it differs from what the scripture says. But we want to see them as someone ensnared by deception and uh, see them as uh, uh, someone who can be helped. And, uh, but here's something. You know, the scripture says um, in the New Testament, in um, 2 John chapter 10, chapter 10, there's no 10 chapters in 2 John, there's only one chapter. Uh, 2 John 10 and 11 um, it says that um, we should not, um, it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, which is the doctrine of Christ, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Um, a lot of people have rendered that like, don't even let him into your house. Well, it's not exactly what it's saying. Um, what it's saying is, in context, the New Testament a lot of teachers and preachers traveled, and when they get to a place where they, they were uh, led of the Lord to go to, they would need housing. And so the church would welcome them in and provide for them while they're there in, in people's houses. He's saying if you, if, if you encounter that and it's a false teacher, someone who doesn't bring the doctrine of Jesus, don't provide for them. Don't allow them in. That doesn't mean that when you encounter... Chovas witnesses, Mormons at your door, you can't invite them in. You can. Uh, I would be careful around having a discussion of that caliber amongst little ears in the house, right, that may not fully comprehend and be able to sort it all out. But um, if you want to welcome them in and try to discuss with them, that's fine. What you don't want to do at the end of the conversation, though you would treat each other in human politeness, you know, thank you for your time, things like that, don't say God bless you. Because you, don't, you can't bless what they're doing. God's not going to bless what they're doing. That's what that means. That's what we encountered this morning. Nor let those who pass by them say the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So, um, you know, I guess uh, Psalm 129, 29 would render out this way to us also. Um, there's such value in being able to get out of the world and come to a place where there is no persecution, where there is no pressure, there is no mocking, rejection of Jesus, uh, but you gather around other believers who love and worship the Lord. Um, You know, I don't know who, who might be listening this morning, but, you know, you might have a loved one who goes to church, you know, not only Sunday morning, but Wednesdays. They're there for prayer on Saturday. Maybe they're another night of Bible study. You think, why? 
They go to church that much? Really? doesn't make sense to you. Well, um, there's, there's, what's going on there is, is your loved one come to believe in Jesus. Um, it's, the world's a hostile place to those who believe in Jesus. And, and you find a place where you can gather around like-minded believers and get out of that, that time of um, persecution out of the world. Boy, it's a beautiful, treasured thing. And uh, that's why you're here this morning. That's why all the, the saints are gathered here this morning. It's wonderful to be around other believers. So Psalm 129, a psalm of ascent, giving us some instruction on how to uh, recognize and deal with evil as we encounter it. Let's go to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, um, <clears throat> this is just a psalm about encouragement to watch and wait for answered prayer. A song of a sense. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Uh, Again, um, we're going to summarize it. It's um, an encouragement to watch and wait for answered prayer, right? Um, Because, you know, when we pray, I know when I pray, I pray for something to be changed, and you know, five seconds later, if it's not changed, I'm done waiting, right? <laughs> it takes longer than that, right? Uh, um, well, let's read about this guy. He says, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord, out of the depths. Um, this, you know, this guy's drowning. This guy's in a circumstance that has overwhelmed him. Um, you know, I... Uh, though I'm from Southern California, I was not a surfer. I, I could you would I could sell it to dude. Man, we're going surfing today, but um, I really didn't like the beach. I know that's weird coming from Southern California, uh, and for one reason, I'm not a strong swimmer. I, I didn't like going to the beach because you get into the water and it's a very dynamic, powerful environment. All that water, those waves rolling in. And a couple of times when I was a kid, I was at the beach and got overwhelmed uh, with just, uh, you know, what we would call small waves. And um, I don't know if you've ever been close to drowning before. And I don't know if I was. That was as close as I ever wanted to get. I didn't need to be rescued, but, um, you know, for a few moments there, it, it, I distinctly remember um, being overwhelmed. I knew that None of my efforts were going to count for much, and um, I did not know how to get out of it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how long that lasted, maybe just a couple of seconds. If that was enough, I did not want that again. And uh, not being a strong swimmer, um, you know, we can identify with this guy. Um, um, he is overwhelmed. Uh, it has gone over his head, whatever circumstances... Um, that he finds himself in, he knows he is out of his 
he's, it's over unless the Lord does something. And I don't know who that might encounter this morning or what kind of circumstance that you might find yourself in. Um, you might be overwhelmed with the circumstance that you didn't want and it's beyond your control. Maybe it's, it's a health diagnosis that's not good uh, or a change in career. You know, the, the company is suddenly going to go away and that uh, it's out of your control or, you know, a divorce you didn't want. It's not of your making. Um, I like this Psalm 130 because this guy's first reaction in that kind of circumstance, his first activity um, of being overwhelmed is prayer. And, uh, you know, um, that's something we need to learn. Maybe if you're new to believing or Christianity, uh, you know, we like to panic and think about all the ways we can fix this in our own strength, but um, we need to learn that um, to be in contact with the one who can handle a situation, the one who does have um, enough resources and is in control to change them, or to help me through them, to be in contact with them. There's only one who's great enough to do that. And so um, this drowning man, um, man or woman, um, goes to prayer, O Lord, out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Um, Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Um, You know, we have to wait for answered prayer. Why isn't it immediate? You ever thought about that? Why, why doesn't God immediately answer prayer? Um, in my estimation, the right time, the perfect time is right now. <clears throat> well, you know, because I, I, I know that when I get into situations like that, I want relief right now because all I can see is right now. But God's not subject to that kind of limitation. He sees everything. He doesn't answer right now because he sees a better time for that answer, a more perfect time. And so uh, he sees every moment perfectly, and so we wait. We wait for him to answer it at the perfect time. But it's, all, it's, it's common, though. We go and we get into a circumstance. Um, we uh, know we need to get to the Lord. Maybe we are, you know, maybe our devotional life isn't what it should be, or our prayer life isn't isn't what it should be. And we could think, and it's so common, even um, to get into, even if your prayer life is good, to get into that situation where you need help and just end up in your mind, you can't go to the Lord. You know, you're not you're not good enough to go to the Lord. Verse three and four: If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Um, you know, we can we get to that place. We know we need help. We know who can help. And um, the devil is always going to be there to to worsen that in our own minds. You, you know, you haven't prayed in how long? You haven't been to church. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. And you think you can just pick up the phone and God's going to answer it? Like right now? Really? Yeah, that's, the, that's the voice of the enemy. And uh, the reality is nobody, nobody goes to the Lord uh, perfectly, right? Nobody, nobody goes to the Lord without iniquity. We go there and we say, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I, I need your help. But you know what? 
we get in that circumstance, and we need to keep this in mind. God wants to forgive. We have a forgiving God, and he wants to forgive. The psalmist reminds us here that God to whom we cry out is a God who forgives. If you should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? I know I'm not good enough, Lord, uh, but I know that there is forgiveness with you. So, and also that forgiveness has a reason also that you may be feared. Um, You know, uh, the depth of God's forgiveness is enough to scare you, put it that way. Um, he's willing to forgive you in the face of anything. And uh, that's, that'll change. That'll change your life. Um, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Um, the, the, the psalmist reminds us when we cry to God, God's a God who wants to forgive. And don't lose sight of that. Don't let it come between asking for prayer Asking for help in a time, you know, First John one nine, right? Uh, if if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all iniquity. I like that, that's put in there. Not only is He gonna, not even going to cleanse us, but He's going to forgive us. He's going to clean you up, and He's going to forgive you, and He wants to do that. So, in the midst of the circumstance overwhelming, we're going to pray. And we're going we're gonna to know that we don't go to him based on our own goodness. It's not there. We go to him based on what Jesus has done. But verse 5 and 6, um, we follow up that kind of asking for prayer, I mean, that kind of prayer, asking for help with faith. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Um, there's a lot of promises in Scripture. I think someone, you know, who's people who have done these kinds of counting of God's promises um, say that there's over 3,500 promises in the Scriptures. And um, there's a promise for every circumstance in life. Something that the Lord has said um, he will do. He'll meet us in every circumstance of life. And so when we go and we remember those promises and we pray those, we can know that um, the Lord's going to answer those prayers. Um, so I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Uh, like, uh, well, these are the guys who are on the night shift, and they are um, just watching over the safety of the city. You know, you're doing that. What you're looking for is you want the sun to rise. As soon as that sun comes up, your job is over, right? And you get to go home, get some sleep, get some food. Um, those hours can pass, and you know, in those final hours of the quiet in the morning can pass rather slowly. And um, his soul, he says, he waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Um, Faith in promises to God. Um, You know, uh, I think in in this 
loaded into this, I think, is a hint also of something more than those who watch for the morning. Um, You know, ultimate deliverance and the ultimate answer to all prayers in human history um, is going to be in that rapture of the church. And, um, you know, think of it this way. Uh, It's like Tom Ice, I think, one time was with us at a prophecy conference, and he said this as he, we usually had him talk about the rapture of the church. I remember him saying this, what problem do you have that won't be solved by the rapture of the church? All of them will. (laughs) And so we wait for the Lord ultimately to fulfill that promise. Um, that in a moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye, he will take us out of the world. And all those things that, that loaded onto us, burdens and troubles and problems, well, we'll be, we'll be stripped of those in a moment of time. And all that will be replaced with joy, knowing that it's all over with. It's all done. And we'll be in his presence I think, the, I think that watchman waiting for the morning, I think that is an allusion to that promise out of the scriptures. And then uh, uh, verse 7 and 8, uh, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Um, as uh, you know, the Lord works by his Holy Spirit when we pray, and we work in prayer. The Holy Spirit works in our prayers and uh, uh, works in us faith to encourage others to wait on the Lord for their answers of prayer. Um, that's what he does. Right out of the depths, I have cried to you, and now he's outwardly encouraging others. You know, I'm waiting for the Lord to answer these prayers. I'm going to encourage you to, answer, to, to wait on the Lord to answer for him to answer those prayers too. So uh, Psalm 130 is uh, just a beautiful um, encouragement to wait on the Lord um, because his mercy and his an- the answers to prayer are coming. Psalm 131 um, is a uh, very short psalm, a song of a sense, and um, talks about... Um, Uh, how to have a calm and quiet soul or spirit. It's a beautiful picture. A song of a sense of David, verse 1, O Lord, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Uh, you know, it's of David. This psalm, I think, is remarkable because it's, we can identify it. It's labeled to be of David. And you think of all the stuff that David, and we don't know when in David's life this psalm was written, uh, but um, if it's later in life, I mean, Imagine all the busyness and turmoil that would be loaded into David's life. I mean, he, you know, there's, there's his own personal life. There's um, the difficulty of, of leading a nation and all the administration that's got to go on there. 
there's um, wars, there's good guys coming and going, bad guys coming and going. I mean, there's a lot there. And yet he could say, give us this beautiful picture of having a calmed and quiet soul in the midst of that. Um, I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of something that's calm. Uh, I did some backpacking back when I lived in Southern California. We'd go up to the Sierra Nevadas, and um, we would get into, around some mountain lakes, and uh, you know, just one of those pictures in my mind. Um, you get around a mountain lake there, and nobody's been up there. There's nothing going on, and early in the morning, it's just those those lakes are just a sheet of glass, like a mirror. And there's not a ripple on it. And it's just perfectly flat. Uh, or I spent some time uh, fishing on the ocean too. And there was rare occurrence that the, the ocean that's normally got a lot of wave action, a lot of things come, you know, a lot of dynamics. You catch it right at the right time, very rarely, and it would be calm. And it was so unusual. It, very, very moving to be out there that way. And those images come to my mind. I think of uh, calm and quieted. Uh, in verse 2 it says, I have calmed my and quieted my soul. Uh, that word calmed literally means just that. It's even. It's level. And uh, uh, the other word there is he's quieted my soul. Um, the idea is one of rest and peace. Um, you know, how much, how much of a... Uh, peace and quiet, you know, are people looking for today, especially in today's, wow, the, you know, the news is bombarding with, with threats from every direction. And, you know, the noise of everybody's ideas and, and things that are coming and going, wow. To have some peace and quiet. And then, um, like, and then he picks up this. There's not only a calming and quietness, but he likens it to being a weaned child with his mother. Um, so that's a picture of contentment, being content. Um, a, a child who's weaned is no longer nursing, and so to sit with his mother would be that he is just content to be there, and he doesn't need anything. And he's just content to sit and, and be with her, be in the presence there, without needing anything. And that's a beautiful picture. He says, I've quieted my soul like that content child. I'm just happy to be with you. I'm satisfied to be with you. And he says, verse 2, um, he says that doesn't happen just... Uh, it just doesn't drift out of the sky, you know, it just doesn't happen. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. In other words, there are deliberate choices, decisions to make to get there and uh, to be that way, um, to calm and quiet our soul. And he gives them to us. Actually, Psalm 131, verse 1. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor things too profound for me. I think he gives three things there that um, can be identified as leading to this calmed and quieted, content soul. And the first one is in verse 1. Lord, my heart is not haughty, 
don't know if you've got a footnote in your Bible. That word haughty can be rendered the word proud, uh, pride. If we're going to have a calm and quieted soul that's content, we've got to have a heart that is shunning pride. Um, you know, pride, um, pride is the enemy of calm. Um, it, it, it can mean uh, to see myself above, um, above you, above others. Um, and, you know, it, when somebody has got a heart of pride, uh, they constantly see themselves as above. They see themselves above other people, and they have to prove it. They have to prove it to themselves. They have to prove it to others. And so that, that, that's a very difficult and continuous operation, right? It creates tension in relationships. Um, you know, the uh, Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches that we are all the same, that no one has any intrinsic value more than anybody else, right? I mean, you might be better at some things than somebody else, but you're not better than anybody else, right? Um, Galatians puts it this way, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so, um, um, you know, pride is a problem there for a calmed and quieted soul, eliminating that because um, we don't find, with pride, we, we, we find our identity um, from comparing ourselves to other people. And it's, that's an illusion. Um, we need to find our worth and our identity from, not from the world or from other people, but from the Lord. Um, we find it in him because he never changes and he's told us the truth. When we're going to find our identity in the world or comparing ourselves to other people, those are always moving targets. There's never stability in that. Never. So pride is a source of conflict, right? That way. Proverbs 13.10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife. Pride, is, um, um, pride always ex- uh, expresses itself in the expense of someone else. Right? Um, pride also eliminates and, and it makes it very, very difficult to have a calmed and quieted soul because pride forces the Lord to humble us. Uh, you remember that story that Jesus told, uh, that analogy about seeking seats at the banquet, and that's all about pride. You'd go to a, a banquet, and there would be ranks of seats, and the most prominent people sat in the highest seats, and everybody wanted those. And so you come into a, a banquet, and you'd go sit, oh, I want to sit up there. Well, then the banquet would start, and the, the banquet host would come over and go, you're in the wrong seat. Uh, this is, and, and then you'd be embarrassed, you'd have to get up, and there's nothing left but the lowest seat, and in front of everybody, you get, you know, kicked to the back. And how humiliating. And um, the Lord says, don't be like that. Go ahead and take the lowest position, and then when the master comes, and he sees you in the wrong place, he'll lift you up. You, you put yourself in the lowest position, there's nowhere to go but up. Right. So the scripture tells us um, to esteem others better than ourselves. That's humility. 
Um, we have nothing to live up to. We have nothing to prove. Um, so a heart that is shunning pride is a heart that can be um, calmed and quieted in the soul, right? The heart, the soul. But another one, um, he says in verse, also verse 1, nor my eyes lofty, um, that's um, arrogant or selfish ambition, uh, eyes that are lofty. Um, it's always looking for a, a higher position than what we have. Um, and, and, you know, not all ambition is bad, right? We're supposed to have sanctified ambition for the kingdom of God. We're all supposed to be ambitious for the expansion of the kingdom of God. But selfish ambition is um, self-centered on ourself. And uh, it's to put ourselves forward beyond what the Lord has appointed for us. That's the problem. The Lord has appointed for us something, and we are not content with that. We want to go outside that. We want to go beyond that. And so there's terrible striving. Because the Lord may not have gifted you. He hasn't gifted you to go beyond that. You will excel. We will excel in the thing, in the place, the position of life that the Lord has gifted us for. To go beyond that... um, well, that's ambition centered on ourself. Uh, Philippians 2 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Um, it could also be that um, uh, ambition here has eyes set on material possessions, right? Somebody who wants more and more, always wants more and better, focused on what they don't have. Again, there's an absence of quietness and calmness and peace there because you're focused on what you don't have, you may not be able to get, and you're missing out on the blessings and having gratitude in what the Lord has given you. And so uh, the scripture tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain, right? Um. And I, and I like this. Um, remember, this is coming from David. And if it is later in his life, think of the ways he could measure wealth, his wealth. Wow. Uh, I mean, he really had power and prestige internationally. He had, uh, you know, tangible wealth, palace, and, and yet here he is saying, what I count as riches is contentment. You get that way when you get older, right? I mean, when we're young, we got our eyes set on, you know, making lots of money. And the people who tell us that, uh, you know, uh, having less is more, we just think they're, they're senile. They've lost it. You know, it's you got to strive for more, strive for more, strive for more. And that's where it's at. But when you get older, you realize, no, um, just being content with what I have is, is wealth. And so, um, you know, it starts to look exactly like when you get older and you realize this, it starts to look just like what Jesus said, that uh, um, seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to you. Um, so selfish ambition 
um, if we're going to calm and quiet our soul there, we've got to have a, a heart and mind that is not full of selfish ambition. You've got to shun that. But number three also, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor things too profound for me. It's not concerned with high matters. Um, what does that mean? Well, um, you know, uh, God doesn't have to explain everything to me. <laughs> he, and I'm okay with that. And we ought to be okay with that. Um, it's just on a superficial thought that way. Look, we're only going to be able to track with the Lord so long before we're just not going to understand. I mean, God's infinite. We're not. And he's been around and he understands everything perfectly. We don't. And so when he does things, well, you know, we can keep pace with that a little bit. But somewhere along the line, we're just going to have to take it by faith. And we, be, we need to be okay with that. Um, there's got to be some mystery that's okay with you in what God is doing and how he's doing it. Um, and it. And it goes back to that old saying of don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. Right? When we get to a place where we don't understand, fall back on what we do understand. God loves us. He's for us. He's never going to leave us. And so uh, we're not concerned with high matters. Um, there's so much we don't know. It's not our job to understand and explain it all. That's God's job. It's not ours. I mean, he said that, right, in, in Isaiah, in the Old Testament. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I am so much higher than you. You, you, you know, you've got to be okay with some mystery. So we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Um, you know who, you know who's, who got a, a, a glimpse of this, got corrected by Jesus this way. You remember when Peter was on the shore after the resurrection and he was out fishing with the guys and they had breakfast, Jesus provided them breakfast. And then after his restoration, um, you know, Peter, do you love me three times? It turns out, it seems like that Peter and Jesus uh, seem to be walking along the shoreline there somewhere quietly as, as the Lord is talking to him and he begins to tell Peter about his future, even so far out to tell him they're going to lead you where you don't want to go, telling him how he's going to die. And then Peter happens to notice John behind them kind of like tagging along or something, and Peter goes, oh, yeah, well, what about him? And so Peter, concerned with things that don't matter about to him, that have no bearing on him, Jesus says, well, if I want him to stay until I come back, what's that to you? So, um, we're not concerned with things uh, that are too great for us or too profound for me. The Lord's, um, you know, the Lord has ways of, of being and doing that we just aren't going to understand. And that's okay. Uh, not only is it that, uh, um, not only accepting mystery from the Lord, but um, I think part of this is what he's saying, matters that are not too proud for me. We're not sticking our nose in other people's business, right? Um, what the Lord is doing with somebody else's life, we can come alongside them for comfort, for prayer. But, you know, I've got enough to think about in what God is speaking and doing in my own life. <laughs> and so, again, and offer you the comfort of the Holy Spirit and fellowship and prayer 
but it's okay if I don't understand it. And it's okay if I, it ought to be okay with you if I say, I don't, I don't know why God's doing that. So um, Psalm 131 um, speaks to these things about how we can have a quiet and calmed soul. You know, if there's anything people are looking for these days, it's that. It's calm and quiet. And man, we have chaos across the world right now, near and far. Um, you know, just go, go into any bookstore. We spend some time occasionally at Barnes and Noble, and um, you walk through the self help section. Oh my gosh. People are looking for help and looking for peace and quiet. Right here. A calmed and quiet soul. Shunning pride. Shunning selfish ambition. Shunning covetousness. That uh, ambitious drive for more and more. Being content with what God is doing, even though I don't understand all of it. And staying out of other people's business. Very simple. Three verses. I can publish a book. Most of it would be blank. And I just put that right in the front. And you just do that and you have a calmed and quieted soul. So the Psalms of Ascent, these three Psalms this morning, um, part of the way in the Lord is leading our life upward toward him. He wants us to have and know that peace. He wants us to know that calmed and quieted soul. And so he tells us all about it. He gives us somebody who, by every estimation, you know, their life was very, 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 very busy. And yet that person can say, here it is. Here's where it's found. Let's finish there. Why don't we stand and we will pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that you do lead us beside still waters. Lord, in your goodness um, and in your your faithfulness and your kindness to us. Lord, we thank you that you do guide us gently and quietly and want um, these things for us. Help us, Lord, to, to live them out by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.